In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, we we have reserved this Saturday morning to speak to you, to come here to pray, to recollect ourselves in your divine presence, and to enter more deeply into the mystery of God, whom we see exposed here in the Blessed Sacrament. As we do that, we also enter more deeply into the mystery of his fatherhood. God is our Father. God is close to us. He is infinitely merciful, always tender, always loving us, no matter what we do, no matter what we go through. But at the same time, we know one thing. We know that we cannot really experience that mercy, indeed that tenderness, without ourselves experiencing true conversion. And, of course, to help us understand our need for conversion, God gave us the Word of God. He gave us the Scriptures. These, these words are inspired by God, written by men, but inspired by God, in, in which we can tr- seek to imagine how beautiful God's mercy is. And, uh, and yet that mercy, we can never really read it. We can never really understand it without ourselves going through a true inner conversion. It would be, you know, thinking about the mercy of God without conversion would be like looking through the window of a five-star restaurant and seeing the hors d'oeuvres, seeing the wines, seeing the servers, seeing the elegant people clinking their glasses, but having new, no QR code to enter. You know, when you go and enter something and you put your phone and beep, you go in and the doors are open and you can get in. Well, conversion is like a QR code so that we can go in, beep it, click it, goes in, and we can sit at the banquet of God's mercy. And indeed, uh, the most beautiful really, I would say, one of the most beautiful passages of the Word of God that helps us to understand this need for conversion and yet at the same time displaying the banquet of God's mercy is the parable of the prodigal son or the story of the prodigal son or the story of the father who had two, two sons, both of whom needed conversion. Indeed, the parable tells us about it. The younger son who was outside he was starving, he was famished, that he, not only would he have drunk on the wine and the hors d'oeuvres, but he would have even eaten the, the husks that the pigs were eating after he had left his father's home, after he had gone off on an expedition seeking his own 
desires, his own needs, his own sensual gratification. But even that, even getting the husks of the pigs that they, they were eating, he needed a QR code. That code came with his return to his father's home. His father could see him a long way off. And he ran out and covered him in kisses. And, and put, a, put a, a ring on his finger. He dressed him with a, with a, new, a new dress, a new, a new alb. Really, it's one of the most beautiful and, and moving passages because it talks about conversion of the prodigal son, but it also talks more deeply about God's mercy that we can only embrace through our own personal conversion. That's what we ask our Lord right now. Give me that personal conversion. And of course, how do I get to that? Well, this parable was given and written to us for our instruction, but also for our reflection. Some areas maybe in the scriptures are a little bit obscure to us. They require a study. We get a sense of the language. Other layers other areas have many layers of meaning but in particular the, the, the story of the prodigal son in chapter 15 of St. Luke has this ability to move us repeatedly I mean we've all heard it many times about this son this wayward son who asks for a share in the inheritance that is due to him as a son and he goes off and squanders his entire inheritance. We, we've heard that story. And then how upon squandering it, he ends up starving. He ends up unable to live off all his inheritance because he's wasted it all. And, uh, and of course, there is also the older son who's filled with anger that he stayed there didn't wander away, but kept doing his work, kept doing his duties, stayed within the family, but was unhappy. He was unhappy. He was resentful. He was bitter. So it's a story that is not just about one wayward son that comes back, but it's really about two wayward sons. One goes away, the other one stays and is resentful. But each of them needed a conversion within their own family. Both sons needed the QR code to truly enter into the family. One appeared to be the older one, already in there, but he was actually not. The other one obviously appeared to be gone and he needed to come back you know, urgently. And there we understand that we have God as a merciful father and that we, like those two sons, need forgiveness. Sometimes we just identify with the younger son who is drawn away by his wayward spirit of sensuality and his desire for independence. But at other times we feel a little bit more like the resentful, brooding son, the older one, who feels somehow that he has never been truly loved or even recognized for all his efforts. He feels he's, he's doing all this work. Here I am, I'm doing all this work. I never get out to, to even have a, 
a beer with my friends. But in the end, whichever son we are, or son or daughter, obviously, but uh, whichever child we are, whether the wayward one that goes away or the one that stays home and stays resentful, in the end, we also understand that we too must have the heart of a father. We too must learn to be merciful and to forgive. In essence, you could say that the nature of our conversion lies in ourselves being like the father. That we are like the father. Or maybe like the mother who is unseen and, and hidden away. And many have reflected on this parable. Uh, there are many masterpieces uh, of paintings and even books that have been written about this. There's a famous uh, 17th century painting by Murillo from Seville that shows this bedraggled looking son coming home to his father. And there you even have, as is common in many Murillo paintings, a dog wagging his tail, happy. Probably a typical house dog. There's a little, little, not quite a chihuahua, but something like that. But uh, you have later paintings from the 19th century, like uh, Jacques Tissot, who shows the return of the prodigal son in a kind of a modern setting. He's just gotten off a ship. He's returned to his father. His father meets him on the dock, on the planks of a wet dock, beautifully rendered in the painting. He's like a stern man with watches and a top hat as a lady gawks in surprise at what she sees there in this public setting. But probably you're all familiar with the 1663 painting by Rembrandt. Rembrandt, uh, who, who painted this, uh, one of the last paintings of his life, if not the last one, that shows, uh, you could say the focus there are the two hands of the father you know, leaning over or, or cradling his son. One of the hands looks strong, and masculine, the other one looks a little bit more feminine and more delicate, more refined, representing the mother or the tenderness of God. So if you're wondering where the mother is in this parable, well, at least Rembrandt understood it to be represented in God the Father, who is both a father and a mother because of his tenderness and his goodness and his love. Represented in those two slightly different hands. There are also paintings by Rembrandt showing um, the prodigal son in the midst of a dissolute life while he's actually partying and having fun. Not the moment of his conversion or his return. There's one earlier painting by Rembrandt which shows actually Rembrandt himself holding up a tall glass of wine turning to the viewer and behind him is his wife Saskia, who's represented as one of those kind of partying with him, but actually looking at the viewer rather sternly, saying, what is this guy doing? I mean, he's, this guy's getting wasted here. Mm -hmm. Others show the departure with, from his father with bags of money after he's taken the portion of inheritance. In other words, this parable lends itself to many views, many snapshots, because it is so rich and layered in meaning. But so does my own conversion have to be rich and layered in meaning. We may have had our first conversion 
you know, when we returned to confession, when we, when we decided to you know, take seriously our faith, we may have had a second conversion when the Lord showed us the divine nature of our vocation. We may have had another conversion when we realized we weren't really being very apostolic and we needed to give ourselves to others. Maybe we had another conversion when we saw that family life was getting more demanding and in your marriage, the Lord was asking a conversion there in your marriage and the way you give yourself to your husband, give yourself to your children. There's another conversion. You know, there are many, many layers. And that's why this beautiful account of the prodigal son, which is worthwhile just reading over again, just slowly, just read it again on your own. It's like a, a moving appeal to us now, today, again, to be converted. Whether it's addressed to a young and dissolute life, whether it's addressed to a resentful one, like the older son. Really, the Lord is saying to you and me now, repent, convert, be converted. And be converted, not just once, but again and again. Get that QR code and enter into the banquet. And uh, so today, in order to stimulate our repentance, let's ask the Lord to show us a little bit what this parable teaches us about the evil of sin and the wretched state of the sinner and the beauty, the real true beauty of conversion and what exactly is the conversion that the Lord is asking of us. He's not asking, no doubt, he's not asking you and me for a conversion in the sense of, oh, oh, oh yes, I believe in God, that's my conversion. Well, okay, yeah, yeah, you know. And uh, that was one that we've already had, but there's another conversion. If you look at the story, it begins, a man had two sons. That's how it starts. A man had two sons. Well, we can ask, which one am I? Or which one, which child would you wish to be like? Or, you know, one of them, of course, was unable to look after his own soul. The other was unable to give his heart. Both the young one and the older one saddened their father. Both had treated him rather harshly. Both failed to recognize how good he was to them. One through this disobedience and running off, the other, despite obeying, still treated him rather harshly. Which one would you be if you were looking at yourself in the context of this parable? Would you be the spendthrift or would you be the more calculating one? Because there's really no third son or daughter. So, you know, which, which one are we? And what's, what's um, striking is that the father does nothing to stand in the way of his younger son's insolence, his stupidity, his whims. He doesn't say, he doesn't even try to convince him. He doesn't cut off his allowance, which anybody, any father or mother would have done. Doesn't try to reason with him. The son just says, Father, give to me the share of the property that falls to me. 
Okay, good. And he shares it, he gives it to him, he just lets him go free, he makes him, allows him to make use of his freedom as he wishes, made bad use of his freedom. He lets himself be plundered by this boy without even a murmur of protest. It's a, it's a strange uh, reaction. The father, oh, you want your... Okay, go. Yeah, no problem. Go, take it. He doesn't say, maybe you should wait a bit. Maybe you should do your chores. Maybe you should not do that. And, uh, of course, even the end of the story is not that much more edifying than the beginning when his older son refuses to come out for the share uh, to, and share the feast. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's actually the father who goes out and begs him to come in, which is the most normal thing to do, but he has to beg him. It's, um, it's strange where it is the children in the house that give the orders, give me my share. And the other one says, I'm not coming in. I, I decide what I'm going to do. It's the God that we have who keeps silent. He kind of stays in the background this God who, who gives and he forgives. Always. All he's invited us to do is to love. You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole soul, and your whole mind. And uh, in the Father's house, the children do not work for a salary. They are happy to share their father's labors. Their father is happy to share his wealth with them. The one ambition is really to love the other more and more, even forever. Perhaps uh, at this age, maybe the son, I mean, obviously this could also be a daughter, I suppose, but if you were to look at the two sons, the two brothers, the one that, that might we want to might focus on a little bit more is the elder son who's often since he's at the end of the story he's come kind of forgotten sometimes mm-hmm. and perhaps uh, one of the um, one of the virtues here that is alluded to somewhat indirectly we allude often to conversion which we need but the virtue that the quality that is that is indirectly referred to here is I would say uh, hospitality, the ability to be a good host. Indeed, the letter to the Hebrews says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. What does that mean? Well, that's uh, no doubt a reference to that passage in the book of Genesis, that episode in the life of Abraham in which uh, he receives these three mysterious figures that were sent by God and he receives them as a, as a very good host. He gives them to eat, to drink as they come in this mysterious moment. They thought perhaps that they were angels. It's a scene that is often represented or shown, I'm sure you've seen in the famous Russian Orthodox painter uh, Andrei uh, Rubiev which shows the three angels there, sometimes a symbol of the Blessed Trinity. I've seen that in churches often. And, um, but it's, it's meant to, to show the moment in which Abraham gave such importance to 
that that uh, virtue of hospitality of, of being a good host of receiving these people these were strangers and indeed both <coughs> both um, Jewish and Greek culture gave a lot of importance to this virtue of being a good host yeah. perhaps preparing a good meal and um, this is brought to an even higher level when our Lord said, you know, and so far as you did this to the least of my brethren, you did it to me. You did it to me. We, when we are good hosts, when we take care of others, we're doing it really to Jesus. He identifies with those in need. And that precisely is perhaps a moment of, uh, a point of conversion for us. Those who are in need, those who need us. Is it true that perhaps in, in family life or in social life or any other moment in our life we you know that we have to recognize that we are all an object of of the love of Christ especially of uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ and somehow that we have to find Jesus in them in those people around us maybe that's the kind of conversion the Lord is asking of us perhaps one would be how do we react to unexpected visits there are some people who are real experts in receiving. You know, you're invited to their... They are amazing. They have hors d'oeuvres. They have, they have uh, wonderful wine. Uh, they have an infinite sense of refinement when, they, when you go over there. Yeah. And, uh, and they, 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 they just, uh, you know... People feel so honored with such care. It's an act, act of hospitality, which is an act of charity, of cordiality, that can well up in our heart, which, of course, the older brother was lacking. He lacked that, that cordiality to receive his brother who had gone off. That's why only a person who's really prepared themselves in, in the presence of God, in prayer, is able to receive those who come to us in need. Maybe that older brother had lost the habit of prayer. He had lost the habit of piety. He was caught up in his own, his own things, his own little world. Didn't really see the needs of his younger brother. He just saw, well, he's having a party, what about me? And he didn't really see, he, did, he wasn't ready to be the good host. Some ways it could be said that the older brother, of course he's older, but he's also a symbol of people in general, what happens to us when we get older. When we get older, that's what happens. We tend to plan more. We foresee everything to the extreme. And we can get deeply bothered when our plans are changed when our flights are cancelled, when somebody in the family wakes up with a cold, when an unexpected visitor comes in, this just rattles us because we like everything just like it's a certain way. And certain people, if they have not cultivated the virtue of fortitude, if they have not been able to overcome the normal setbacks of life 
that accompany any process of growth, they can end up feeling more and more like, like victims. Perhaps that's what happened to the older son. He, he felt like, like a victim. And they feel that, maybe they, some people feel that ever since they were small, that they have been, maybe they've had a weak health or something, or they don't feel that they've been truly valued in their work, or nobody's really loved them. They just feel, you know, they've just done, uh, they're like a just Job, right? Uh, what, I've always done everything right. Uh, why, why do I get saddled with this problem? You know, Job, the book of Job who was a just man who had to suffer. Mm-hmm. And yet, we could end up being like the elder son, complaining and resentful. And that definitely, we know, in the presence of God, requires, requires conversion. This, this complex psychological tendency to blame others do I do that? Do I often blame others like this older son was doing for all the evils that they suffer? That's what he did. He said, well, I've been working here hard. I've been breaking my back and this guy comes home and, and they can take refuge in seeking compassion from others through their complaints. Which really, when we complain about things in daily life, in family life, they really, any of our complaints, big or small, often contain hidden demands on others. And uh, that's, that's what can happen if we allow ourselves to, to fall more deeply into the victim, the victim complex. I don't want this, Lord. I, I don't want this for myself because only you, Lord, are the only true victim But the victim types, they don't usually say exactly what they want, but they do it in the form of complaints. They, they don't get what they want, they can despair, they, rather than changing things, rather than taking the bull by the horns, they, they have a certain desire to be at the tension, center of attention. And they make everybody else know about their ills and the things they suffer. They want to force others to have compassion on them. They could exaggerate the negative and end up often thinking ill of others. That's why the person who is a kind of a, always a victim is the exact opposite of hospitality, the, of the person imbued with the spirit of hospitality. So we ask this Lord now to help us in this conversion to remind us that you Lord are the only victim. In your passion, in your death and your cross. And that passion, death and cross is is perpetuated in the sacrifice of the altar. It's somehow mysteriously present here in that divine host. It was presented and perpetuated us in the holy sacrifice of the Mass, all the value of Christ's cross, the true victim who is God and man, who suffered for us, for our, for our sake, so that we could return to the Father. And when we return to the Father, well, as we see in the parable, he puts a ring on our finger, he puts a, a new gown on us, a new robe, 
a new suit. So we get when we go to confession. We get a new suit, clean. And naturally, hidden behind that coming of the Father towards us is our Blessed Mother, who will intercede for us, strengthen us, and help us to truly convert. In some way, I have to convert today, Lord. In some way. Help me to identify it. Help me to, to nail it down. Make a good resolution. That's how we make a good resolution. A good recollection, rather. When we discover how the Lord is asking us to convert. Whether we're the younger son. You know, a little bit overly sensual. Overly materialistic. Overly, you know, just want to do what we want to do without attachments, or if we were like the older son who has allowed streams of resentment and victim complex enter. Whichever one it is, we ask you, Lord, help us convert so that we can embrace you in the house of the Father. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.